This is another episode of Political Theory and um, Other Stuff. My name's Mike. My name's Paul. And we are on uh, Chapter 6. This is Part 3 of Chapter 6. This is our first ever third part for a for a chapter. Chapter might be setting all kinds of records for us. Right, right. So. I know. But it's worthwhile. We've got a lot to say. Oh. Fisher's got a lot to say, and uh, and we've got a lot of rambling to do. So sometimes you mm-hmm. got to break that up. Yeah, uh, Paul. Do you want to start us off sure. Um, sure. on page? Is it forty five? Yeah, We're forty five. Yeah, we are right in that that break of okay. page forty five. Yep, sir. <clears throat> All righty. All right. So much for really existing socialism. But what of really existing capitalism? One way to understand the realism of capitalist realism is in terms of the claims to have given up belief in the big other. Postmodernism can be construed as the name for the complex of crises that the decline in the belief of the big other has triggered. Has Lyotard's famous formulation of the postmodern condition, incredulity towards meta-narratives, suggests? Jameson, of course, would argue that the incredulity towards meta-narratives is one expression of the cultural logic of late capitalism a consequence of the switch into the post-Fordist mode of capital accumulation. Nick Land gives one of the most euphoric accounts of the postmodern meltdown of culture into the economy. In Land's work, a cybernetically upgraded invisible hand is progressively eliminating centralized state power. Land's 90s texts synthesize cybernetics, complexity theory, cyberpunk fiction, and neoliberalism to construct a vision of capital planetary artificial intelligence, a vast, supple, endlessly fissile system which renders human will obsolete. In his manifesto for nonlinear, decentered capital, Meltdown, Land invokes a massively distributed matrix networked tendency oriented to disabling ROM command control programs, sustaining all macro and micro governmental entities. Uh, global concentrate globally concentrating themselves as the human security system. Uh, yeah, I that last sentence um, was a beast of a <laughs> yeah. sentence. Just, it was a uh, beast of a sentence. Uh, I just feel like I'm just supposed to naturally understand what Land has invoked here. Like he's like, oh yes, he has invoked what I had always suspected. Yeah, a like massively just... distributed matrix network tendency-oriented to disabling ROM command control programs, sustaining all macro and micro-governmental entities. Oh, yeah, those fucking tendency-oriented to disabling ROM control programs. Yeah, I don't. Classic. Yeah, I don't have any vision in my mind of what that would look like. Classic capitalist move. Right. Yeah, totally, totally. Uh, I mean, honestly, that trope is like so tired now. Yeah, and I just, I have no familiarity with Land's work. Yeah. Uh, to just full, full admittance there. So if it is like groundbreaking or monumental, I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, well, I, I'm sure but, it is. I'm sure it is. Right, I just right. don't, am not. This, this description of it. Of it has not compelled it, uh, me to ask for Land to be our next book. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But well, and I think I'm not sure, but I think he's I I would assume he's like a uh, Philip K. Dick kind of guy, right. like yeah. someone that yeah. wrote science fiction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I do have more time on my hands these days. Maybe I'll 
Yeah, for right now, dude. Yeah. For right now. now. They're working hard on changing that. That's true. You know? Holy shit. Yeah. Maybe I'll have no time left on my hands. Yeah. I mean, if things continue the way they're going, it's just going to be like going to work and then going to the hospital to petition the hospital to let you see your dying loved ones and then going to the funeral home and petitioning them to let you go to the funeral of your loved ones and then going back to work. As long as we can get back to work, though. I know. I know. That's so important. It's that's so what I'm worried people aren't focused enough on. I know. Who was it? We had um, one of the administration's uh, supporters was just like, you know, the great generation had World War II. They sent their, uh, Mike Pompeo said, you know, during World War II, we sent our, our young men off to the Pacific Theater and Europe, and we knew a lot of them weren't coming back, but we were willing to sacrifice them for the American dream. And now we need to do the same for the American dream. <laughs> yeah. Well, as, uh, as though, as though like a virus is the same as, as uh, fascist right. ideology. And you know? I would also say we already hit Vietnam numbers. I think. Dude, I think we're we doing their, their, we're, they're projecting that we're going to be doing uh was world trade center numbers every day for the next few weeks, every day. Fucking China, man. I just can't believe China. Mm-hmm. That they would do this um, intentionally to us. Like, I know. It's just Lab. absurd. You know. Right. Didn't Pompeo also say he's pretty sure it was lab created and Yeah, well, and well. he's got a lot of evidence for that, right? It's not evidence he can share. And it's not evidence that um, you know, our anybody else says. Right, right, that our intelligence agencies say they have, but he's right. got a lot of evidence about it. I mean, uh I heard it's the same source as the WMDs that the Bush administration used. Yeah, that, that's super, super reliable source. Really reliable, not at all racist ever. Right. Never never there for just a narrative, just there for the cold hard truth. And you know, the like sort of a lot shit of fake news won't cover. Right, exactly. And like a, like a lot of people say, you know, um, China needs to uh, pay reparations for this because God mm-hmm. knows when the US makes mistakes, we pay, we admit our mistakes and we pay yeah. reparations. You look oh, at all I the mean, reparations we paid to the Native Americans. Oh, I hear that um, the Navajo the blacks. reservation is uh, beautiful right. most times of year. So, yeah, um, yeah, no suicide, no alcoholism. They're doing right. great. Lots of jobs. Lots, lots of jobs. Uh, lots of wealth. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Fucking bullshit. Um, and uh, yeah, and you know, we uh, also uh, just make sure that we never uh, glorify that shitty past either. Um, right. Yeah. You know. Yeah, or always... whitewash it. You know. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not like Bush Senior said while he was president, "I will never apologize for America, regardless of the facts." Right. You know, right. it's not like he said that. Right. And we would never have people in like states like Michigan bringing Confederate flags to COVID protests because, right. Well, Michigan wasn't even ever. Was, was the lady with the sign in, in Michigan, the Auschwitz sign? Did you see that? I did not see that. No. Okay. So, you know how over the, um, over the entryway at Auschwitz, there's like that German phrase that says, work will set you free? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Our bite. Uh, yeah. What is oh, the yeah. phrase? Dude, uh, it's like Arbeit mit zu. So there was a lady I th- at one of the protests, then, I think it was a Michigan progress test, that had that German phrase on a sign. Good. Right? Good. And, and she says that she's not a racist and not a Nazi. And maybe she honestly looked at that 
a literal translation and and was like and was sincere being like work will set us free but that's, yeah to me that she, is that's just so like, pretty that's yeah. such a pretty yeah. sentiment i to me if that's what actually happened the the irony there is like um so excessive you know like us going back to work will kill a lot of us yeah you know it, and it's, it's it's to the point where it's like is it irony or is it a parallel like right. is this how people get that shitty where they're just their value system is so skewed as to uh anything resembling humane that's <laughs> just you know uh, yeah i mean that's the issue when you allow things that are in their essence uh the antithesis of what is good for humanity uh, and that's what you start to praise shit just starts to get really weird mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Really weird. so we'll see sorry Huge no no no, no we're, good. we're good so we're good. uh Right out of these ROM command controls, <clears throat> this is capitalism has a shattering reel in which parentheses viral digital and parentheses signals circulate on self-sustaining networks which bypass the symbolic and therefore do not require the big other as a guarantor. And, it is and, and when he, he capitalized real, we're talking about what we talked about chapters ago where it's like the real versus the, the theoretical or the hope the no 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 it was like uh, a, another real like uh the realistic or something where it's yeah. like and it was like the lacan's thing of like it's like their perceived reality rather than than what's actually what's actually happening on. like right what they hope this system will yeah. achieve yeah and, and and the example we used was how uh, libertarians are under the impression that um, they could sustain themselves in, um, in pure capitalism and that's their their real or whatever but the um, like fragments of, of shit breaking apart their real is the roads and the water systems and the sewage systems and electricity right. and stuff right everything that they don't even come close to doing right they don't don't comprehend what it requires uh, which bypass the symbolic and therefore do not require the big other his guarantor. It is Deleuze and Guattari's capital has an unnameable thing, but without the forces of re-territorialization and the anti-production which they argued were constitutive of capitalism. One of the problems of Lamb's position is also what is most interesting about it, precisely, colon, precisely that it posits a pure capitalism, a capitalism which is only inhibited and blocked by extrinsic rather than internal elements. Parentheses, according to Land's logic, these elements are atavisms that will eventually be consumed and metabolized by capital. End parentheses. What is atavisms? <clears throat> I don't know what that word means. I feel like we've already looked this up. Uh, really? Yeah, it's, I could be wrong. It is a tendency, yeah, it's a tendency to revert to something ancient or ancestral. Okay, okay. So um, can we redo a word of the day? I don't know. I don't know. Just a reminder, folks, atavism is referring to an ancestral. According to Land's logic, these elements are atavisms that will eventually be consumed and metabolized by capital. Yet capitalism cannot be purified in this way. Oh, man, I started so far back. Uh, <laughs> strip away the forces of anti-production and capitalism disappears with them. Similarly, there is no progressive tendency towards an unsheathing of capitalism. No gradual unmasking of capital as it really is, rapacious, indifferent, inhuman. On the contrary, the essential role of 
significant and corporate transformations effectuated by PR, branding, and advertising in capitalism suggests that in order to operate effectively, capitalism's rapacity depends upon various forms of sheathing. Really existing capitalism is marked by the same division which characterized really existing socialism between, on the one hand, an official culture in which capitalist enterprises are presented as socially responsible and caring, and, on the other, a widespread awareness that companies are actually corrupt, ruthless, etc. In other words, capitalist postmodernity uh, is not quite as incredulous as it would appear to be, has the jeweler of Gerald Ratner famously found to his cost. Uh, Ratner precisely tried to circumvent the symbolic and tell it how it is, describing the inexpensive jewelry his shop sold as crap in an after-dinner speech. But the consequence of Ratner making this judgment official were immediate and serious. 500 million was wiped, pounds was wiped off the value of the company and he lost his job. Customers might previously have known that the jewelry Ratner sold was poor quality, but the big other didn't know. As soon as it did, Ratner's collapsed. That last section uh, is just like what we were talking about earlier or, you know, previous episodes about the individuals in the the society might be aware, even the majority of individuals might be aware of something, but the big other kind of like the collective conscious or the zeitgeist was not aware of something. Mm -hmm. And it's, yeah, and it's to that that I have to admit, I'm sure... If I devoted more time to the text, it wouldn't be quite as confusing. But I feel like initially Fisher almost suggests that the postmodernist capitalism that we're in uh, has almost done away, or the post-Fordist era has done away with this big other. But then I, I feel like he goes on to, maybe he is disproving his, his own question of whether it went away or not. I where, where did you catch that, that it went away? I didn't catch um, that. Postmodernism can be construed as the name for the complex of crises that the decline in the belief in the big other has triggered. Just the incredulity towards meta narratives. Okay. And that that is one of one expression of the cultural logic of late capitalism, uh, a consequence of the switch into post Fordist mode of capital accumulation. Uh, and then that's when he brings up like Land's section of how he bypassed with these ROM command control programs. Uh, and just went straight. Mm, I do understand that the internet does cut into the big other, or at least changes who the big other is, depending on which part of the internet you hang out in the most. But even in those communities, I can see that there's like weird undercurrents of like, oh, we like this person, we don't like this person. Uh, Stuff doesn't seem exactly individually decided, if that makes sense. Okay, yeah. Vernacular postmodernism has dealt with the crisis of symbolic efficiency in a far less intense way than Nick Land through metafictional anxieties about the function of the author and in television programs or films, which expose the mechanisms of their own production and reflexively incorporate discussions of their own status as commodities. So it's just saying that um, that there are shows that talk about how shows are made and that they're commodities? Or just, I think are, are kind of talking about like how their commodity is based on their status. So like how popular a show defines how much of a commodity it is. 
Okay. Um, so that like examination or like, I think there's literally been outros of shows where they're like, please, if you want to keep watching uh, or this show to stay on the air, tell your friends to watch us. Mm-hmm. Our ratings aren't good. Maybe something kind of like that as well. But postmodernism's supposed gestures of demystification do not. What's that? Events. Events. Word of the day. Yeah. Wah, 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 events. Events. Reveal the presence of a quality or feeling. Word of the day. Events. Oh, dude, I wish I should be writing these down. It'd be so cool to... um, Oh, shit. Like a list of them. Yeah. And Um, put them somewhere where people could... Yeah. Yeah. So this this will be one of the first ones. Eventually, we can sell it. SAT prep. Right. Uh, holy shit, where the fuck am I? Oh, here we go, here we go. But postmodernism's supposed gestures of demystification do not evince sophistication so much as a certain naivety, a conviction that there were others in the past who really believed in the symbolic. In fact, of course, symbolic efficiency was achieved precisely by maintaining a clear distinction between a material empirical casualty and another incorporeal or what's that? Incorporeal? Incorporeal. I don't know what that word means. I've heard it before, Uh, but I don't know what it means. Incorporeal causality. It is not composed of matter having no material existence i would have been kind of close i would have said like hard to like put your thumb on or but yeah it's not composed of matter having no material existence okay so i'm that dude we're doing two words of the day for today at yeah. least in and depending on how far we get dude we got okay was achieved precisely by maintaining a clear distinction between material empirical casualty and another incorporeal causality proper to the symbolic. Zizek gives the example of a judge. I know very well that things are the way I see them. This person is a corrupted weakling, but I nonetheless treat them respectfully since he wears the insignia of a judge so that when he speaks it is the law itself which speaks through him however postmodernism cynically uh, just before we get there that is that's such a good example though okay do you know what i'm saying like i just think that judges supreme court judges things of that nature how many documentaries do I have to watch now where things are, regardless of how obscene or silly they seem, in retrospect, when a judge lays down a verdict or puts something forward because it comes from that position, and that position alone is like the defining nature of why it's accepted. For me, that's such a, that made it very real to me to understand like the concept of it being a judge. Uh, Okay. All right. However, postmodernism's cynical reduction to reality falls short. When a judge speaks, there is in a way more truth in his words, the words of the institution of law, than in the direct reality of, of the person of judge 
if one limits oneself to what one sees. One simply misses the point. Lacan aims at this paradox with his les... Les non, non du pays errent. <laughs> les non du pays errent. Um, those who do not allow themselves to be caught in the symbolic deception slash fiction, who continue to believe their eyes are the ones who err most. Is that error? Or like yeah, just error. Okay. Like error. Okay. Who, who err most. A cynic who believes only his eyes misses the efficiency of the symbolic fiction. Uh, fiction and how it structures our experience of reality. And this is an internal debate. I have, I fully like without question understand how shitty it is when the justice system messes up. Unfortunately in America, it really has a, a systematic racist lean towards it, at least from what I can see. It's not just to what I can see. There are uh, lots of, lots of research into that subject and, you know, that also comes to the same conclusion. Um, but it's hard to imagine the complete destruction of the legal system. That's probably my hardest gap um, in any transition is like, well, we've put so much faith for so long into our legal system to have it just crumble away would be insane because like we've talked about with capital, there is a, a faith in it in a town that had four murders, right? even if you got the wrong guy, the sense of calm that it can bring back to that town to convict the wrong person, uh, as shitty as that is, is a tangible benefit to that society as well. I don't, I don't know exactly what I'm saying, but that is a debate I have to myself. Is like, is that presence, is that society just able to calm itself? Is that the real purpose of the legal system? Or is the actual purpose like a seeking of truth and justice? Or is it just to keep more stability or at least a vision of stability to the whole thing. And maybe they understand that on the inner workings. Maybe the DA, that's like how they get up in the morning and convict the wrong person. Is like, well, I'm not here to make the right decision. I'm here to make the town normal again. And to that extent, it's like I do, there are times where I can see the benefit of, of that, but okay. it just is really shitty too. So, um, uh, you know, whatever. That's no, a huge thing. Obviously, no, that, that makes sense. That makes much of Baudrillard's work was a commentary on this same effect, the way in which the abolition of the symbolic led not to a direct encounter with the real, but to a kind of hemorrhaging of the real. For Baudrillard, phenomena such as the fly-on-the-wall documentaries and political opinion polls, both of which claimed to present reality in an unmediated way, would always pose an insoluble dilemma. Did the presence of the cameras affect the behavior of those being filmed? Would the publication of poll results affect the future behavior of voters? Such questions were undecidable, and therefore, reality, in quotes, would always be elusive. At the very moment when it seemed that it was being grasped in the raw, reality transformed into what Baudrillard, in a much misunderstood neologism, called hyper-reality. Uncannily echoing Baudrillard's, Baudrillard's fixations, the most successful reality television programs ended up fusing documentary elements with interactive polling. In effect, there are two levels of, quote, reality in these shows. The unscripted behavior of the, quote, real-life participants on screen and the unpredictable responses of the audience at home, which in turn affect the behavior of the on-screen participants. 
Yet, reality TV is continually haunted by questions about fiction and illusion. Are the participants acting, suppressing certain aspects of their personality in order to appear more appealing to us, the audience? And have the audience votes been accurately registered? Or is there some kind of a fix? The slogan that the Big Brother TV show uses, you decide, captures perfectly the mode of control by feedback that, according to Baudrillard, has replaced old centralized forms of power. We ourselves occupy the empty seat of power, phoning and clicking in our responses. TV's Big Brother had superseded Orwell's Big Brother. We, the audience, are not subjected to a power that comes from the outside. Rather, we are integrated into a control circuit that has our desires and preferences as its only mandate. But those desires and preferences are returned to us, no longer as ours, but as the desires of the big other. Clearly, these circuits are not confined to television. Cybernetic feedback systems, parentheses, focus groups, demographic surveys, and parentheses, are now integral to the delivery of all services, including education and government. Yeah, for sure. I feel like it's probably a more relevant topic to discuss um, more internet-based entertainment, like YouTube, Twitch, things of that nature, than maybe reality TV at this point. And maybe it's my naivete, but I don't think reality TV has quite the same hold or fixation uh, that it might have had when this book was published. I think YouTube and stuff took that over a little bit in the sense that, at least in the beginning, they could yeah, be but, more real. Uh, but the algorithm been still does, does yeah, uh, the basically what the, the yeah. voting did, you know. Yep. All right. Well, I'll, I'll do this next paragraph here. Mm-hmm. Um, this returns us to the issue of post-Fordist bureaucracy. There is, of course, a close relationship between bureaucracy, the discourse of officialdom, and the big other. Witness two of Zizek's own examples of the big other at work. A low-level official who, having not been informed of a promotion, says, sorry, I have not yet been properly informed about this new measure, so I can't help you. A woman who believed that she was suffering bad luck because of the number of her house who could not be satisfied by simply repainting a different number herself because it has to be done properly by the responsible state institution. We are are all familiar with bureaucratic uh, libido, with the enjoyment that certain officials derive from this position of disavowed responsibility. It's not me, I'm afraid it's the regulations. The frustration of dealing with bureaucrats when the frustration with bureaucrats often arises because they themselves can make no decisions. Rather, they are permitted only to refer to decisions that have always already been made by the big other. Kafka was the greatest writer on bureaucracy because he saw that this structure of disavowal was inherent to bureaucracy. The quest to reach the ultimate authority who will finally resolve Kay's official status can never end because the big other cannot be encountered in itself. There are only officials, more or less hostile, engaged in acts of interpretation about what the big other's intentions. And these actions of, and these actions of interpretation, these deferrals of responsibility are all that the big other is. 
and I feel like could you do that that next paragraph just yeah. because it, it's yeah. still talking about Kafka yeah oh for sure and I feel I think that's a little unfair in that situation I guess this is maybe just me having a soft spot for bureaucracy but at least in a governmental bureaucracy the big other is theoretically not random decisions but decisions that were like legislated and at least you had some participation and would be all that i would say not justifying it but at least i feel like that makes it a little better than the corporate big other where realistically right. uh, well, a corporate bureaucracy you know right yeah, yeah yeah um where you have much less of a say you can generally put the intentions down to profit in nearly every question of like why the fuck is this going on okay if kafka is valuable as a commentator on totalitarianism it is by revealing that there was a dimension of totalitarianism which cannot be understood on the model of despotic command kafka's pur purgatorial vision of a bureaucratic labyrinth without end chimes with zizek's claim that the soviet system was an empire of signs in which even the nomenclatura themselves including stalin and molotov were engaged in interpreting a complex series of social semiotic signals. No one knew. And I think I think it's required. Molotov. Molotov, yeah, like Molotov, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. No one knew what was required. Instead, individuals could only guess what particular gestures or directives meant. What happens in late capitalism when there is no possibility of appealing, even in principle, to a final authority which can offer the definitive official version? is a massive intensification of that ambiguity. As an example of this syndrome, let us turn once more to further education. At a meeting between trade union officials, college principals, and members of parliament, the Learning and Skills Council, LSC, the Quango at the heart of the FE funding labyrinth came in for particular attack. I looked this over before and Quango was a word where I was like, that is not yeah, a word is, I've ever seen yeah, before. What is that? Uh, and it is something that is funded by the government, but not directed by the government. So they receive their funding. And I, I think it's specific to the UK, but they receive their funding via government, but they do not have to, they're independent, they're autonomous. They can direct, direct themselves. They don't have to be directed by the government. Okay. Um, so the quango at the heart of the FE funding labyrinth came in for particular attack. Neither the teachers, nor the principals, nor the MPs could determine how particular directives had generated themselves, since they are not there in government policy itself. The answer was that the LSC interpreted the instructions issued by the Department for Education and Skills. These interpretations then achieved the strange autonomy peculiar to bureaucracy. On the one hand, bureaucratic procedures float freely, independent of any external authority, but that very autonomy means that they assume a heavy implacability, a resistance to any amendment or questioning. Now that is a shit show. Like you have these policies that you can't track down where they came from, but you also can't change them because they're the official policies. Like, yeah, what? Yeah, yeah. That's some shit to be super wary of, like, yep. <laughs> I guess yeah. just knowledge that that can happen would uh, hopefully inspire people to make systems where um, the regulations that you follow can be very clearly traced and very clearly amended if new information is to present itself. So, so we're going to start next time, the bottom of page 50, mm -hmm. that will be part four of chapter six.
and the final realism. Part, the yeah. final part. I can final guarantee. part of chapter six. Before we say goodbye, I just want to say, I think for someone like myself, and I feel like a lot of people, it's really easy to once you you hit a snag with with a book, with any theory or, or philosophy or whatever, when you're reading independently, it's really easy to to hit a snag and just be like, well, fuck this, and it will either um, you know, sometimes discourage you from continuing. I think that it's really, you know, important to to remind myself that even if you don't always understand what a book is talking about, it's better to try to read it and continue to move on than it is mm-hmm. to to give up. And that's important. And like today, I didn't understand a lot of today's chapter. I understood parts of it. I think today's section was the part of the book thus far that I've understood the least. And what's crazy to me is I've read this book one and a half times before and I never remember thinking wow this chapter six is a fucking beast at least when I read stuff by myself it's really easy for me to just ignore the stuff I don't understand and just focus on the stuff I think I understand and yeah, so and when that I'm, chapter fucks me with the land stuff dude I just yeah that, yeah um, puts yeah. me into a it's an example that I just don't understand. And because I don't understand the example, I feel like I'm missing out with the heart of what he's talking about with like, you know, yeah. the incorporeal essence of the big other. And it's, you know, the theoretical disappearance of the big other via post Fordist, postmodernist capitalism. And because I have no concept of what is happening in anything land has ever written, I'm just like, well, I don't understand go. why that would disappear. Don't understand the functions behind its disappearance. And I can definitely still see the effects of the quote unquote big other uh, in today's society without question. Yeah, but it's just important. A, I just want to say I didn't really understand yeah. that chapter and that's or that part of that chapter and that's okay. And B, that it's important to continue on and see that at least for myself, it's easy for me to, when I'm reading alone, to not notice what I don't understand. Yeah. Oh, that happens um, to me. And, and that's why it's so important to, to do this sort of stuff. Uh, whether you're, you're recording it and putting it online or not, I think doing, like studying with peers, with this sort of stuff is super helpful. Oh, that's, yeah. that's what I wanted to wrap up on. You know, I look forward to um, diving back into chapter six and wrapping that beast up uh next episode and uh, i hope you all come along with us on that journey thank you have a great day yeah bye